You've joined us in the Bereavement Room, a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I'm your host, Kolsima Ali. joined us in the bereavement room today's guest is Tasneem Chowdhury she's joined me today to talk about her mother who sadly died in 2013 she was 15 at the time and going on 16 at secondary school hi Tasneem how you doing I'm all right thank you okay how are you yeah not bad a bit early in the morning um, I'm not I'm not a morning person, but it's all good. I'm really, really pleased to be sitting here with you. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really happy you're, you're you know you've volunteered to share your story. Um, so, kind of for context, uh, give me a bit of background about who you are, where you're from, what you do. Yeah. Um... So I was born in London and I've lived in London basically my whole life. Um, both of my parents were born in Bangladesh, but my mum had lived in the UK since the age of three. And originally uh, we lived in like Whitechapel, Orgate East, that sort of area. And then we moved out to Redbridge um, and moved around within like Newbury Park, Gants Hill, Redbridge, that sort of area. Mm. So, um, wow. That's so interesting. Um, so you lived in the Whitechapel, Brick Lane area. It's quite a strong Bangladeshi community there. Must have been quite a transition uh, uh, moving from there to Redbridge. So how so how many years did you live around the Whitechapel, East London area? Um, I think we lived there until I was about four or five and we moved to Newbury Park. Okay. But um, my grandmother still stayed in Holgate um, East, so we would mm. go back every weekend, sometimes oh, during yeah. the week, because um, both of my parents worked full time, so my grandma yeah. would look after us. Oh, that's lovely. That's really nice. And it's great that you, you know, you didn't completely lose all ties with the area. That's really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So kind of... Um, Talk me through, sort of, you know, in your own words, it doesn't have to be neat or tidy, um, what happened and sort of, you know, what you kind of, you were only 15 at the time when your mum died, is that right? It's quite a long story, um, 
the long story short is just that my mum had breast cancer but mm. she actually had it when my older brother was like quite young I think he was about one or two when she first had breast cancer and then it had gone away for a very long time my brother's six years older than me and then by the time I turned 10 so my brother would have been about 16 um it had come back um I think originally she just had like the lumpectomy when she was younger and then when it came back when I was 10 she had the mastectomy which is when they cut the whole breast off um, and then it was kind of going okay. She was um, still being treated right post-surgery and stuff. And then I entered secondary school. Um, but I always knew that she was still kind of not the same as she had been before. Aww. And then um, she had a lot of doctor's appointments and checks. And it turns out that it had um, actually spread oh, um, around her body. Yeah. Yeah. It had um, spine, I think, as well. And that's kind mm-hmm. of, I think, I don't know how old I was when I knew that, but... Um, it was sort of like we all knew that it wasn't going to be able to be treated and she oh. would eventually pass away from it. Oh, gosh. What was that like, knowing that, um, you know, they wouldn't be able to treat her anymore? That must have been awful. Yeah. I mean, I think it was strange because I was so young um, mm. and my parents obviously didn't want to tell me too much because they didn't want to worry me. But at the same time, I feel like they need so it was it was strange I feel like it wasn't as um I feel like it wasn't as emotional as it should have been because I kind of tried to not think about it too much because I had so much going on at school um just you know a new school and making new friends and stuff um so my parents would sort of distract me and just talk to me about school stuff and we wouldn't really talk about the health stuff apart from the fact that maybe my mum had an appointment that day or something Mm. Gosh, that's so difficult, um, especially when you're a teenager, because as you say, do you have a lot of things going on at that time? Um, so I guess you, you yeah. mentioned... Yeah, no, it was... Uh, it was. So, you, so you mentioned you, you moved to a new school, sorry. Um, is that halfway through your teen years or, or were, you, were you at the same school the whole time? Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Um, yeah, no, I was at the same school. <laughs> I was at the same secondary school from the age of 11 till mm. sixth form. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, when you, you go to a new secondary school and there are new students from different primary schools. So um, I fell in and out of a lot of different cliques throughout that time too. So I was constantly making new friends. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's that age we do. We do fall out of a lot of different friendship groups and cliques and we're kind of navigating our way. Um, that That is quite common um, at that age. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, so you, I guess what I'm hearing is you didn't really have a lot of time to think about it or it was sort of blocked because you had to, you know, maybe your yeah. par- parents wanted you to focus on something else. Was that the case? or How would you describe it? My mum, like, sort of knew that it would be. Um, she, I remember her talking to my teachers at the beginning of GCSEs just to okay. let them know what was happening. Because oh, okay. at school, I didn't really let anyone know. Okay. Um, like, I didn't even tell my friends because I 
it's quite awkward to just bring up like, oh, by the way, like my mum is dying. I, I don't know. I didn't really think to tell them um, and they didn't really come around much. They didn't really know much about my home life. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she told my teachers and I think my geography teacher sat me down and like wanted to make sure I was OK. But um, I just didn't really want to talk about it. Like I would just say, like, yeah, I'm fine. Just a bit tired. I just want to focus on my work. Like, um because I just thought it was a bit awkward, like talking to teachers about something like that, uh, especially because a lot of my teachers were quite young and I wasn't sure if they would even understand what I was going through. So. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, you touched on something there. Yeah. At that age, um, it's not really common conversation to talk to your friends about sort of death and dying. Um Yeah when you're a teenager so yes you're trying to understand it yourself um trying to have that conversation with someone else your you know a friend someone that's the same age as you that you know may not be going through the same thing as you or have experienced anything like that is quite difficult um yeah mm. But it, it sounds like your teachers were pretty good. The school was quite supportive. They knew everything. Um, did you get any sort of uh, pastoral support there as well to get you through that time while she was sick? Um, I think for the most part, I kind of just did my own thing and I wasn't really struggling in my schoolwork. So my teachers didn't really or anything but um I think our school didn't really have a um like counsellor or anyone that you could just go to talk to so that was a bit of an issue mm. um if I felt like I needed to talk to anyone I don't think I could have but I think I just distracted myself most of the time um with my friends or with like GCSEs and schoolwork mm. and how does that feel now I mean how old are you now sorry if you don't mind me asking you 21 oh I'm 22 now 22 What's that like? Yeah. What's that like? Because you've graduated from university. Uh, was it this year or last year? Uh, this year. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Um, what's What's that like though? Looking back now, as a twenty-two year old, kind of looking back at those teen years and that experience that you went through. Are there? Do your thought have you know your thoughts and feelings must have shifted a little bit. I mean, it's so hard to navigate something like that at that age. What, where, where's your thought process on that, or your reflection yeah, on it now? No, it was. I mean, looking back, I just wish I was a bit nicer to my mum because I knew that she was sick, but I was still quite angry. Um, I'm not necessarily at her, but just at the fact that like I couldn't be normal, and like sometimes I'd have to come home from school early. Um, just to like you know look after her or hang out with her um, mm. and then like she would put a lot of pressure on me um, academic wise and I don't know I just I think as a teenager you don't really understand what your parents are going through and how difficult things must be for them mm. and um, yeah like, I think I just wish that I had been a bit more understanding because I don't think she really knew what she was doing and she must have been very scared but she didn't really show that to me or my brother. Yeah, that's much tough. someone that would get on with things. Um, yeah, she wouldn't want to talk about it, even if it was good news. So um, 
yeah, like I, I admire her for that, but I wish that she'd been a bit more open with me as well, so that like we could have had more of a conversation about her, her illness and what would happen after and stuff because it, it's scary as a teenager like knowing that you're going to lose your mum. Mm. Massively so, massively. Um, your your brother who was old is he older than you? Sorry, did you say? Yeah, he's yeah. six years older than me, or five years and ten. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So he is quite older than you. Um, so did you guys kind of help each other out? Were you, you know, or was it something very different for him because he was older? Like, what what was um, the dynamics like? Do you remember we the dynamics? Quite close. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think we started to get quite close around the time I was about 13 or 14. Um, so he was in university, um, but he stayed in London. Mm. And I think he stayed in London because my aunt told him to try and um, be around my mum as much as possible because she obviously knew that she wouldn't have that much time left. Um, so uh, my brother was around and we were quite close. And I think it affected him differently because he's the eldest and him and my mum were quite close. Um, because just growing up, I think he was around her a lot more. She took more time off work and stuff mm. when he was younger. Mm. And our grandmother had actually passed away in 2009, mm. who he was also quite close with. Um, mm. So I think that was around the time he had GCSEs. And then he was in university when my mum passed away. So I think it was very difficult for him academically as well. And I think he had a girlfriend, but it was quite a rocky relationship and I don't think that helped either so he was away from home quite a bit and he would visit his girlfriend or hang out with his friends um and like obviously I couldn't go with him because I was under 18 so I couldn't really go out or anything mm. um, so it wasn't yeah. terrible because sometimes it would be nice just to have no one in the house mm. um but I think it did affect him in a very different way and he doesn't really talk about his emotions sometimes he'll say that he misses mum but it's I think it must have hit him in a very different way and him being older and having access to like substance abuse and stuff I'm not sure what happened like I, I have no idea how he dealt with it mm. but I can imagine that it wasn't the healthiest way mm. of dealing with things mm. yeah and it's quite normal uh <laughs> we all have our unhealthy ways and healthy ways of dealing with things yeah in the moment and usually it's temp temporary um that's hard that's really tough uh, as young people to go through that experience um and I mean you mentioned that you're Bangladeshi because I'm Bangladeshi as well and that's something that's quite important to me to a certain degree um because I would say our identity is quite strong um I'm just curious to know if yeah. you don't if you don't mind sharing. Um, did you have a you know because Bangladeshi communities we're quite chaotic when things are happening in the house, whether it's a wedding or a funeral or whatever, right? A weekend. Um, I'm just curious to know what that was like at the time. Did you know? Did you have a lot of community around you at the time supporting you? And your mum was very sick. Yeah. Yeah, we actually did. So um, uh, it's it's quite long to explain. Sorry, but um, that's okay. No, my mum had lived in the UK since the age of three, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, she she lived here since the age of three, and um, so she'd basically grown up in very white areas. And she she was the eldest, so she had two sisters and um, two brothers as well, mm-hmm. um, all younger than her. And they didn't really subscribe to like the whole Bangladeshi or Asian identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all married uh, outside of religion and culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, which I think my grandparents were all right with, but my dad kind of has a bit of an issue with because he's mm. a bit more traditional. Mm. So growing up, I didn't really see my aunts or uncles that often, um, especially when they got married and had their own kids. I'm like, I have cousins, but I'm not incredibly close to them. Mm. Um, whereas in normal Bangladeshi families, like you would see your cousins almost every week at mm. least, mm. Um, and they're constantly coming over and stuff. So I would notice that when I'd go to my friends' houses. Mm. Uh, but we did have quite a few community ties in the area that we've moved to so in Redbridge uh, other Bangladeshi families that have children my brother's age um, they are very good friends with like my family so when the funeral actually happened and when they heard that my mum had passed away obviously they had known her really well so they would bring over loads and loads of food and I think that's the main way they would try and communicate that they cared about us and they wanted us to be okay because at that time when everything's going on and you're organizing a funeral and um like letting people know you don't really think about cleaning the house or eating or cooking or anything so it was really sweet of people to do that so for her actual funeral I guess the reception part we didn't actually buy or organize any food everyone just brought their own food and started serving people which Mm. was really lovely yeah yeah yeah. food is an important part of Bangladeshi culture but um, in times like that when things are really tough and you mentioned something really important there when you're grieving and you're organizing a funeral and the logistics and everything you don't really have time for that and it's massively helpful if community or friends come in and help with that Uh, I can resonate with that when my mum died as well it was quite similar the local restaurants they just got involved the food just turned up like we didn't ask for it it just turned up so it's I find that really interesting yeah. that, that that happens in our community and and it's really mm. nice it's a really nice it's a really nice thing actually it's really warming I really I really like how everyone sort of comes together at that point and it's helpful so yeah, yeah. um if it's if it's hard I get that it'll be hard to talk about it you know just let me know but um are you able to kind of talk me through the funeral the day of the funeral you know how everything unraveled where it happened and um yeah so my memory might be a bit hazy so I'm sorry actually let's rewind Um, let's rewind a little bit actually um do you do you remember where where you were the day that your mum did die? Was it in hospital? Was it at home? Before we go to the funeral bit. Um, yeah, so I was actually on my way to the hospital. Okay. And I have a friend who literally um, down the road from me and her and her mum were visiting my mum at the time. And I was meant to have gotten there a bit earlier, but I'd overslept. It, this was in February, like in the half term. And I'd overslept, so I was like on my way to the hospital and it was the Royal London Hospital which is in Whitechapel and I was at Mile End and my friend's mum called me and just said like oh um 
I think that she's going, I'm not sure, but I just want you to be prepared that she might not like still be with us like by the time you get here. So um, that was like, I didn't even know you could get phone signal at Mile End Station, but apparently you can. But um, yeah, so that kind of, I, I didn't really know what to think. So then I just tried to get there as soon as possible. But by the time I'd gotten there, um, my friend was already in tears. So I'd kind of known that she'd already passed away. Um, so yeah, like I remember just seeing her, like her body was still in the bed in the room. Cause I think they have to leave it there for a while for like uh, family members or whatever. But um, yeah, uh, and it was just quite a chaotic sort of time because my friend was there with her mom and then other people had come to visit. And then my dad was on the phone trying to tell like my mom's relatives that she'd passed away because that was kind of his responsibility, I think. So I don't know how much, um, time he really had to sort of grieve before he could especially because he's not that close to my family speaking to them is not not necessarily difficult but I think he doesn't really enjoy doing it mm. so mm. yeah um and I remember like the last time I spoke to my mom when she was alive it was literally the day before um and it was almost as if she kind of knew that she wasn't gonna uh, live like till the next day like it was quite mm -hmm. spooky I can't really describe it but um the mm -hmm. way that she was speaking to me was as if she knew it was like the last time she'd be speaking to me mm. yeah that's interesting that's tough that's yeah I hear what you're saying on that um it's almost like people you know, when our loved ones are dying, it's like they have this inclination that they know it's soon and they're like communicating to you that it's going to happen. Um, I find that bit very interesting. Mm. So, so your mum was very, she she could speak, she recognised you at that point, she was okay, uh, well, obviously not okay, but she was able to recognise you and speak to you and she was verbal and everything the, the day before. Yeah, so I think she actually was in hospital because she had like a lung infection or something. Oh, I see. Like, uh, okay. And that was uh, as a result of her um, cancer treatment lowering her immune system. Hmm. Um, oh, okay. So she, she could speak, but she was coughing a lot. And I think at the same time her eyesight was going, but she knew that she was speaking to me. So um, I think at that time she could still recognise us. Hmm gosh that's so sad so you were you, you you were on your way out of school when you got that call from your friend and went to the hospital is that right or you were somewhere no, it was actually um half term so I was half -term. Yeah. um so it's half term I think it was on a Sunday yes yeah, so I'd school the next day it was on a Sunday and I was um going like to the hospital to because I was going to go anyway, I had to go home to sleep, and then that's why I was visiting the hospital the next day. Um, mm -hmm. So it was as I was on my way to the hospital, really, that my friend had, like, called me and let me know. Mm. So you were all gathered in the hospital. Do you kind of recall, you know, you, I guess you all had a moment with your mum in the room that you mentioned, you know, your dad and brother are there with you. Do you remember what the dynamics were like at that point? Um, yeah, so my dad at the time was 
mainly just organising things and talking to other like hospital staff, um, speaking to East London Mosque, mm. which is where they were going to have the funeral. Um, and he was sort of in and out of the room, really. Mm. And then my brother didn't actually show up until a few hours later, I think because his girlfriend had come to stay the night before. Um, so he showed up with his girlfriend, which I, I suppose is a bit controversial because there were other aunties there and stuff, but I don't think they really cared. I think they were just happy to see him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my mum's actual siblings were there as well. Um, well, my mum's brother was there. He was the only one that could actually make it. Mm. Uh, this one, because he lived quite close. Mm. Whereas um, she has another brother who's mentally unwell. Mm. And um, one sister was in New Zealand at the time. And the other sister has three kids. And I think at the time, one of her children was really seriously ill. So she mm. couldn't make it, but um, mm. um, they all to the funeral, apart from the one that was in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, it was just on the actual day. Not many of them could make it, but my uncle showed up and then he gave me and my brother a lift home because my dad was really stressed. I think oh. he was staying with someone. Else. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. I think it's it's so difficult kind of going back there uh I can I'm with you I'm sort of in present with you right now um mm. yeah so I mean Muslim funerals they're usually 24 or 48 hours they're very quick um if you feel ready and comfortable yeah. maybe you want to talk us through that and what that looked like for you and your family Oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, So I let my friends know basically the day it happened. And then I had quite a big group of friends. And I did want some of them to come to the funeral. But I understood that it was like the first day back of school. And like some of them couldn't miss school. But some of them did show up. um, And that was quite nice to have. The actual funeral itself was like a very long day. Uh, We had to get up quite early in the morning make our way down to East London Mosque um they do a bit where they like bathe the body but I was feeling really unwell like I actually threw up in the car uh so I didn't have to do that um Mm. and then my friends showed up and we were speaking like we were just hanging out outside of the mosque and then someone came up to us I think he was working for a charity or something and he had asked if anyone like knew anyone that had cancer and then it was really awkward because I didn't really want to say anything because I didn't want to make him feel bad. But then all of my friends were like just awkwardly like looking around. And then I had to go speak to a different auntie. And then I think someone told him and then he came up to me and apologised. And he was like, so inappropriate. I'm so sorry. And mm. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. But um, yeah, that was a bit strange. But the actual funeral, um, I remember I was sitting with my aunts and they're not religious, like they're not Muslim. So they just felt a little bit out of place because they didn't like all the religious stuff they remember was from when they were children and they're like in their 40s now so um yeah they just sat with me and they weren't really sure what to do but I was like it's okay like just as long as you sort of like put good thoughts out there I'm sure it's fine like don't worry and I was just sort of consoling them more and Mm -hmm. like I didn't actually cry at my mum's funeral but her brother and sister did and me and my brother were just I think because we'd expected it for so long we'd kind of made peace with the fact that she had gone and we'd spent so much time with my mum, like just living with her. Whereas my aunts and uncles rarely saw her and they mm. had their own lives. So I think that's why they were a bit more upset. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, I was not stoic, but I just kind of, I was sad, but not verbalizing or showing it physically. Mm. And then um, after the mosque, we went to the uh, cemetery, which is the Gardens of Peace Cemetery in Hainault. Oh, yeah, I know it. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's where the funeral happened. And that was quite quick. It was quite a rainy day as well. And then after that, everyone just sort of showed up at my house. And that's when everyone had, like, brought the food. So I don't even know mm. when they managed to cook this food, but they that's when everything was happening. Mm. And there was just so many people in the house. And um, mm. me and my brother, like, just kept trying to make cups of tea for people. But all the aunties, like, just kept trying to stop us and saying that we shouldn't have to do any work. Mm. But um, I think we just preferred to keep busy because what else could we redo? Mm. So you talked about the Peace Gardens in Hainault right that's where, yeah. where where the burial happened yeah were you at the were you present at the burial because you know if a muslim funerals i don't know why and it's something i'm trying to unpack and explore and make sense of women often are, are not at the burial which kind of it annoys me i don't really like that part of things um, yeah and it's something i'm always trying to navigate really uh, <laughs> in a very sort of it makes me annoyed and angry, but yeah. I, I'm curious to know, were, were there women at the burial or, or were you there at the burial point or no? Yes, I was I was there, but I wasn't um, right by the burials. I could see it, but I wasn't super close. I think the women had to stay like a certain distance away. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, and I think quite a few of them were crying and I think, I'm not sure, but I think the reason that women aren't meant to be there is because, like, there's just this stigma that women are going to get hysterical and, you know, it's not, like, proper because funerals are meant to be a bit more, like, silent. But I I think it's quite a sexist um, rule. If it's a rule, I'm not sure if it's a rule. But, yeah, that that's my reasoning behind why maybe they're not allowed um, as close to the grave as, as, other, as men are. And there is, like, a when you enter the cemetery... They have like a like a sign and it just tells you what you can and can't do. And obviously it's like, you know, cover up, whatever. And then there's a rule that says no hooting. But I think they mean like crying and like, you know how some people cry a lot. Um, I think they're just trying to discourage that within the cemetery and being very loud and dramatic. Mm. How does that make you feel? I mean, you know, from your own experiences when when you were at the burial okay albeit you're at a distance do you remember how that made you feel as a teenager um I didn't feel too uh, too upset about it I was just um I think I, I didn't mind watching because my friends had actually made it to the cemetery as well so I was just with them and um yeah, like, I, it wasn't the first funeral that I'd ever been to either, even at that place. So I think my grandmother was buried there a few years ago. So, um, yeah, like, I just, it was sort of almost like a routine. Uh, I was kind of used to it. And, yeah, like, I don't really remember much from it, but I do remember just watching them um, place the body into the ground. And then I think when they had to do the prayer, I think the women were allowed there then. So it it wasn't too bad, um, but yeah. to be honest, I didn't really want to get too close to 
the grave anyway. I didn't. I don't really like graves. So. Yeah, as a teenager, even now, I, none, yeah. none, of, none of us like graves. It's like, it's just horrible to look down at a grave. And I don't know what, you know, I've had nightmares about these things. Um, yeah, I, I hear you on that. That's that's hard. It's difficult. So, yeah. Gosh, so, I mean, you know, after, I, I, I guess with the burial thing, um, to me, it's a little bit of a grey area. As you said, it seems a bit sexist. I've had other people comment it's dictated by culture and culture is quite patriarchal. Um, so that all ties in together. Yeah. I, I don't really know what the truth is, but I've realised from speaking to, you know, I've had quite a few Muslim guests on the podcast. It's different with it's different thing in different families. Um, we all do things differently and we all have a an interesting understanding of the, the burial point and why women are at a distance. And also I find that white communities um, have a certain perception of why that is as well, which I think is interesting. Um, so it's, it's nice to kind of unpack and explore that here. And if anyone's listening that wants to come on the podcast to talk about that, it'd be good too. So yeah, I, I just find that whole thing really hard to navigate, I guess. Um, I find yeah. it hard. I just don't... I, I can't get no, my head... No, it is, it is difficult. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got friends that are from other communities and, you know, it's such a different thing. Their funerals are such a different thing. And I don't like being judged on it yeah. either. I don't want my faith judged on it. It's just... I think as a Muslim, it's quite a different, you know, especially a young Muslim growing up, I think it's quite a hard thing to navigate and understand and be at peace with. Um, so, so, yeah. So you guys went back to the house and um, do you recall much of, you know, who you were with at the house, who was there with you and what that looked like? Yeah. Um, so the house, there were just people everywhere, like literally in every room downstairs, uh, just uh, talking, eating, drinking loads of tea. Um, I'm not really sure what people were even talking about, to be honest, um, because they, a lot of them were just my parents, friends and like aunties and uncles that I didn't really speak to. So I think they were just sort of remembering her and just talking about life and how other people their age had passed away. Because my mum was quite young in comparison to them, I think. I think she was in her, like, either late 40s or early 50s, but, like, um, a lot of them were quite older, like, by, like, a decade. And my dad is quite old as well. Now my dad's almost 70, so... Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, so... Mm. So how, how old was your um, mum when, when she died? I actually don't know because um, she was explaining to me that the year on her passport wasn't the correct year that she was born mm, um, when she came to this country. Yeah, mm. so I I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure she was born in 1961, I mm. want to say, but I think on her passport it said 1965. Mm. So, um, yeah, she must have been... Let me just do quick maths. Um 
she yeah. must have been 52 i think early oh. 50s oh gosh so young um, yeah which is incredibly young like i i didn't even realize how young that is at the time because obviously it's just my mum. like i've just always known her as that but yeah it's it's quite young and especially if you have like a like two teenagers um yeah uh, it was incredibly hard but um I think her, like my aunts and uncles came over as well um, to the house and they made things a bit like easier because even though my dad and them didn't have like the best relationship, I remember like hanging out with them when I was like, really, really young and it was just nice seeing them there and they kind of, I don't know, they kind of distracted me a bit and like spoke about like just some nicer things and we didn't really dwell that much on death and my mum and everything else that was going on. Um, mm. And then at one point we brought out like the old photo albums because we had so many pictures of like my grandparents and them when they were growing up. And we sort oh, of them. Yeah, and it was nice because um my aunt's husband, my uncle, who married into the family, had not seen half of these pictures, and my other aunt oh, who wow. married my like blood uncle hadn't seen these pictures. So yes, yeah, so it was nice just exposing like them to the culture and stuff because they didn't really get to spend much time with my grandparents and they didn't really know much about like when my uncles and aunts were growing up because it's quite hard to imagine like an, a Bangladeshi Asian family but growing up in like such a white area and just seeing the differences and stuff. Yeah, and, a, like, obviously as well. I think it was. Like, yeah. Like, so the, the pictures were quite embarrassing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then pictures always are, I find. Uh, <laughs> It's quite, it's quite nice though I to go back and look at the fashion and you know it was the 70s 80s and it's a different time especially as an Asian family uh, growing up in England London specifically at that time and and it is actually yeah. a, a very different thing um, from growing up in a white area or in a different you know yeah, yeah, yeah. The the comparison is massively different, and it's a different type of experience, especially in East London, because the area that you grew up in and that your grandmother is from has a very long history and a very important history. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, I, I like the whole concept of looking back at photo albums. Um, you know is it something that you did yeah. did you did you create your own photo album after of just pictures of your mum or any kind of memory jars or anything like that or was it just a case of you know, um, so, you know? yeah no uh, I uh we have a lot of photo albums uh, a lot of people in the photos I don't even recognize mm. but uh, I have found that it's quite therapeutic just since I suppose since the death of my grandmother first and then my mum um, it's just nice to look back at times where they were happy and like I don't know like I wouldn't know necessarily what was going on in the pictures but it just looked like they were having a fun time together um, and since I actually last week I like, uncovered this massive bag of like photos and I'm just trying to like decorate the house and we've got one wall in our corridor and I'm just trying to make it like a family photo wall so I found all these pictures of like my parents when they just got married and they just took loads and loads of pictures together or of each other and just like really silly pictures. So I'm trying oh. to put more of those up just to remind oh. myself that like life oh. wasn't always so serious. Like they did have a fun time. 
Yeah. Um, but I really recommend it, definitely. When it's grieving, it's definitely a lot nicer to see, like, a life that you didn't even know existed for your parents or other family members. Mm. Yeah, I really, um, you're right, it is, it's very, it's a nice creative therapeutic feeling actually. Um, and it's true, as you say, um, before life got serious and tough, there was this, there was this happy life and there there was, a, you know, life was carrying on and yeah, those memories never die. Um, it's a part of your identity and who we are. And the story. Yeah, definitely. Mm, yeah. So, like, do you... I mean, you know, it's so different for teenagers to young adults and adults. But when you're grieving, you know, we grieve in different ways. Um, I'm just really curious to know was there anything annoying in the aftermath that anyone said to you that you found quite jarring in the aftermath as a teenager back to school you know what what was the school community like when you went back to school um I think I actually had quite a nice time going back to school uh so obviously my friends had gone to the funeral and I didn't really want to tell anyone but um I just let my friends know because I had to be off school for a while, um, even though I wanted to go back straight away. My dad made me stay back for a few days. And then my head of year rang me and she just said, you can take as much time off as you need. Um, but I just really wanted to get back to school because I was, I can't remember what year this was. Uh, yeah, this was year um, 11. So I had a lot of coursework and stuff that was due and I was very stressed about that. But um, going back to school was quite nice. Um, I think because I knew that people knew and they didn't have to say anything, but they were all very um, just kind towards me. So my form tutor, who I didn't really like, uh, just told me that she offered her condolences. And then I sat on a table in English with these um, girls who were quite shy. But then they just said that, like, oh, we heard about your mum and we're really sorry. Um, and if you need me, like, notes or any help or anything, we can help you. And I was like, that's fine. And then um, I did GCSE drama. And that's quite an intense um, subject where if you don't attend a lesson, it's quite serious because you have rehearsals to work on every week. So um, my drama teacher was quite angry that I wasn't in school. And then she like asked why. And then my friend told her and then apparently her face just dropped. and She felt really awful about it. And then when I did come back, she was just very, very supportive to me, even though throughout the entire course, she wasn't like the nicest person. Um, it's quite just quite funny to see like she was actually really really um she really felt for me I think also because she was quite young and when you hear something like that it probably hits you differently because you think of your own mum and um I think yeah a lot of teachers it kind of just reminded them like oh like our, our mums could pass away soon like that's quite scary um so yeah it was it was quite a nice environment coming back um it wasn't actually that stressful as I'd imagined it to be mm. Sounds like there was a lot of, um, the school routine, there was some normality there for you um, yeah. to carry on. Yeah. I say my head of year like referred me to, uh, um, it wasn't really a counsellor, it was some, it was a woman that worked with the school and she was actually someone in my year's mum and I think it was sort of like the only kind of counselling we had in in the entire school and uh they just kind of 
referred me to talk to her um, but I hadn't asked for it and it was just quite an awkward few sessions and I wasn't really sure why they'd sent me there but um, I think they tried just in case there was anything going on and if I felt like depressed or anything but it was just a bit awkward and after the second that also happened so um so there wasn't a school counselor but they brought someone in externally is that what I'm hearing to talk to you I'm, honestly I'm not too sure I think she did work at the school but I'm not entirely sure what her role was because I don't think she was a counselor or if she was it wasn't very well known I think okay. she was just some like a form of support staff but for children okay um, so it was just going into a room and she would be there and talk what would she talk to you about if you don't mind me asking just curious to know what that looks like I think she um asked me about like how coming back to school was after like, my mum died and I was like I mean it's not great but it's fine and then uh I think she just wanted to see how I was dealing with things and it was really just like an informal chat but um, yeah, I think by the second session, she just said like, oh, you don't seem like a cause for concern. You seem to be doing all right. If you need anything, like tell your head of year or tell me. But yeah, you're free to go, basically. So that's all that really was. I think it was just sort of like the school checking in to make sure I wasn't like running rogue or like being really chaotic or self-destructive or anything. Mm. Um, but um... yeah, I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's quite fresh, though, still. It's only been a few days, a week. Uh, three sessions yeah. isn't a lot. So for you to be, you know, you could be running wild yeah. later on for all you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. strategy is really interesting to me, that strategy that some schools have. In, I know it, maybe it was yeah. different back then, but maybe it's different now. Um, yeah, I don't get that. I, my head, I can't get my head around that. So, did they check in on you mm, later on, like yeah. down the line, or no? Like, um, so that was in year eleven, and mm. then when sixth form came around, like I don't think there was any like support in place for anyone, like not even for grief counselling or anything. But just I think everyone was having a horrible time during sixth form, and our school just didn't deal with it very well. And I think that counsellor woman ended up leaving anyway. And there was no replacement. So, um, yeah, I think it would have been a lot more helpful if the school had maybe put some measures in place for later on dealing with things. Because um, I was fine in year 11 because I just, you know, my mum was there almost the entire time of my secondary education. But when it came to sixth form, it was. Mm. I had actually gone back a few weeks. So I was living with just my brother. Um, adjusting to life like that trying to feed yourself as like a 16 17 year old um, and being very stressed about work and school and also just like not having motivation because my mum was the main source of like checking in on schoolwork and stuff and my dad kind of did his own thing so it was very different and my grades definitely did slip in sixth form um, due to loads of those kinds of things but there was nothing really in place um, to help me with that and I felt like there was no one I could really talk to about it so mm. That's really it was sad. quite difficult, yeah. yeah. That's really sad, um, especially when you're like doing your A-levels, which is such a stressful time, as well as you're in your journey of grief. Uh, I can't get my head around yeah. that. 
Yeah, I mean, there should at least be some group process for students so you can openly talk. Um, it's, I'm hearing a bit of a pattern from everyone that I've been interviewing that have, uh, where they've experienced bereavement in an education setting. I'm finding that a lot of the support that was there was set up by students themselves, groups, rather okay. than the, the school not taking the initiative because... They either didn't have a counsellor or a pastoral service for whatever reason, and there's probably millions of reasons why that is, funding or whatever, um, or they just didn't tell that student that that resource was available, which sometimes also happens in the workplace. There's usually some means of support, but that benefit wasn't explained to that employee. Um, so I find that really interesting and uh, quite shocking, actually, uh, so there's some food for thought for everyone that's listening out there that works in these spaces, that knows people in these spaces. You know, we need to make a little bit of change, well, a lot of change, it, because it's really yeah. difficult for young people to navigate something like a bereavement and then be back Definitely, at school. Yeah college trying to do your exams also friendship groups and you know how you form alliances with people in school is is chaotic yeah definitely yeah mm. so I want to talk to you about cancelling a little bit if that's okay um yeah that's fine uh so did you have any cancelling later on in life at all after you left maybe at university for you know your mum's death no uh I had like some counseling sessions uh just for mental health because I had really bad anxiety and like sort of depression but not proper depression I, I don't know but um that was like external um away from the school that's when I mm. um and I was on a waiting list for like I don't know three four months before I actually even got counselling but um, that who, it was kind of horrible. Who was that with the NHS your GP? Yeah yeah that was um I can't remember what it's called I think it's CAMS you know when you go to the uh, yeah. GP and then they make yeah. you a Jeanette yeah yeah but um, wow. I went to the GP I think in like April and I was having like a breakdown because it was year 12 and I was really stressed mm. and they put me on the waiting list. I didn't get seen until I think the summer holidays, so like July, uh, which was like I think my main issues by that point were over. But um, I still went for like I think six or eight weeks. So mm. it was it was nice, but I think it was mainly for like anxiety-driven things, and um, I think it did help in in a way. But it, I've never been to like grief counselling or anything. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm just trying to process that. So you had quite a few sessions um, for your anxiety and the, the depression that you were going through to get you through year 12, but obviously you were on a four-month waiting list. So this person yeah. that you saw, were they from a BAME background, like a BAME background, or were you allocated someone specific yeah. for your needs? or? <laughs> No, no. Um, I so I had to go to this place in Ilford, and I can't remember the woman. I can't remember her name, but she was really nice. Um, she was a white woman. I want to say like mid thirties, mm. and she was really helpful and like nice. But um, 
yeah, like I, I think maybe benefiting, uh, I would have benefited more from a, someone of a BAME background. But that being said, one time I did go to the GP because I wanted, uh, this was like a few months afterwards, and I wanted to go back into counseling. I was really, really depressed. And the GP was a, I think she was Bangladeshi, I'm not entirely sure, but she was an Asian woman. And it was a locum GP, so it wasn't my normal one. And I told her about like how I was really stressed with school and I was, you know, like not having a good time and I wanted to drop out, like all this kind of stuff. And she was really dismissive and she wasn't a very good GP. And she just started to tell me about her daughter who was really stressed doing four A-levels and how her daughter wants to go to Oxford to do medicine. And I was like, that's really not the point. Like, I don't know why you're telling me this. And that really put me off wanting to go to the GP for like like mental health issues because she was not a very good um like she just wasn't very sensitive or anything uh, and it was really strange seeing that from a woman um from like an asian background as well i, I would have expected a bit more sympathy or something but mm. yeah that's interesting um, yeah. and i remember i told my friend mm. so sorry I, I didn't quite hear you there you told your friend oh um, so um, my friends were quite worried about me and then one of them asked me if I'd actually gone to the GP and I said yeah but it was really horrible like the GP actually ended up making me cry um, and just focused on like her own issues and didn't really listen to me um, yeah so uh, mm. I think it's quite strange that someone who you'd think would be from a background that would benefit you actually didn't help me at all mm. So does that, do you have fears then about seeing a BAME therapist or a counsellor because of the experience you had with the GP? Or do you think they're two separate things? It was just maybe that that GP in that time, I don't, she just sounds really unprofessional to me. And if I was there, I would have just shut her down. But that's just me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely say like, I wouldn't think that GP was representative of like all mental health or any professions um I think it was just a one-off and that like she was a locum GP so she wasn't even meant to be there really like um and I don't think that experience would put me off wanting to see a, a BAME mental health professional because I think ultimately it probably would be better because it's someone that can actually relate to you on a different level mm. um but I just haven't had the experience yet but I wouldn't be put off from it no mm. and um is is it something you're going to be doing in the future you reckon when the time's right I, I hear that it's important for you and you can feel that having someone from a BAME background in counselling or therapy or whatever it is is going to maybe help you a little bit more is that could you kind of talk me through that a little bit more what that means for you as an individual yeah um I think although I have haven't actually experienced it I think it would be a bit more helpful because there's just certain dynamics and cultural things that um I, I would imagine that white people wouldn't understand as well mm. um and it's different when the person that you're talking to has actually experienced the same things that you have as well uh like for example when I'm talking to you about Muslim funerals or you know Bangladeshi like community mm. uh there's a lot that doesn't need to be said because we've both under like we've both lived it mm. And I think that um, immediately makes you feel closer to the person. And mm. if it's a mental health professional and someone that you need to be vulnerable with, I think that definitely does help in, in the breaking down of like barriers and stuff. Yeah. Mm. 
you've articulated that so so well to the point yeah I'm with you on that 100% and so many of our listeners will be and also other guests have said the same thing so it's very interesting for pattern process that we we people have (laughs) Um, and it's so so important right so important Um, I can't even empathize on that and I know that that's going to be an interesting thing for uh, middle class or whatever you want to call it white the white communities that are in psychotherapy and counseling that's going to be it's not that they're unaware of it I think it's more of um how they unpack that and explore that with their clients and the people that they see because often their clients yeah. aren't people that look like them act like them speak like them and are from where they are and you have to understand the you know they have to understand mm-hmm. what the impact of that actually is on a BAME person uh so yeah yeah and I I, I hope that when you do the you know you find someone that's great for you and that works for you and that you're able to ask all these questions and yeah it'd be interesting to have maybe a future conversation with you about that later on in the line yeah sure Hmm. so I'm gonna move on to before we start wrapping up and stuff I I wanted to talk to you about compassionate leave in the UK now I appreciate that you've just graduated from university but I just wanted to know do you have any views on it do you have any understanding on what that looks like I I honestly don't really know that much about it um all I can say is that in my third year at university at the very beginning one of our lecturers actually lost his mum as well so he was on compassionate leave for quite a while and um yeah we just didn't see him and our lecturers kind of suffered since because we had someone else lecturing for us but um I'm not quite sure what the actual terms of compassionate leave in the UK are Mm. yeah it's interesting Uh, not many people do and they they kind of what they do know is based on the experience of someone else um so there is no policy really in place uh in the UK for compassionate leave uh it is down to the employer's judgment what they say is it's one day for emergencies it's not necessarily always paid it's down to the discretion of the employer and it varies from employer to employer so my understanding is NHS is pretty good public sector is pretty good but it could be between one and five days it's the judgment of your line manager and the relationship you had with the person that died so there isn't really a policy in place there's nothing fixed it's not holistic and it can be quite messy actually yeah um, um, I don't know like, I would say I think it should really depend on the individual as well because some family dynamics are very different um, like for example at university I had a friend and her grandmother passed away but her and her grandmother were very very close mm-hmm. um, they all they lived together for a while as well but the university said that they couldn't allow it as a mitigating circumstance for some of her coursework because it wasn't an immediate family member so they only would consider like parents or siblings dying as like to allow like mitigating circumstances in terms of death and grief which I thought was really stupid because they don't know like what kind of relationship she had with her grandmother and they're just assuming that it was quite an estranged one or a distant one um so yeah I I, I don't really know 
much about actual compassionate leave, but I think it should be something that is tailored more to the actual individual and to allow them to actually have enough time and means to be able to be with their family and grieve in a way that will definitely benefit them and will benefit Mm. if you have an individual who's suffering from grief they're probably not going to be able to perform as well as they if you just allow them the time that they need 100 mm. percent. you put it perfectly it, yeah. it needs, i mean it needs, it needs to be holistic in terms of actual policy but yeah i mean it's very skewed it's down to the employer and it depends on your luck who you work with and what your relationship is like with your line manager i'm, I'm not saying that there aren't employers out there that don't do it well i am very aware of some very well-known organizations and employers that do do compassionately very well and they take that very seriously but i also know some sectors that they just they don't even have a policy in place and they'll often ring up a charity and be like oh i'm a human resources manager how how long should I give this person where, you know, their child has died? Uh, how, you know, how long's the string? The person's mm. child has died. For God's sakes, how have you not got a policy in place for your people? It's a duty of care. And even when they do have these policies in place, they're yeah. pretty basic or only a few lines. And uh, we've got a real responsibility. I feel like organisations have a real responsibility to their employees um, and students, universities, students, yeah, to, to work that out. Go away, work that out and see what that actually means for you and the people that work for you or study at your institution. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting one, one that I am enjoying talking about with you and all of our guests um and uh when you do go into the uh, you know when you do go into the employment world because i know you've just uh, graduated um maybe ask them what is your compassionate leave policy or look at their handbook <laughs> because we often don't look at these things until it happens or affects someone that we know but actually we need to go into it like hang on a second if something happened like this is important to me i just need to know what what I'm entitled to, whether I take it up or not, I just need to know what's there to support me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think it's definitely something people need to look more into um, if they can afford to, you know, when they're looking for jobs and stuff, because it definitely would make a difference. Yeah, because who's to say what's going to happen? And we need to know what our rights are. The one thing that I've noticed yeah. this year is a lot of the time we don't know what our rights are yeah and that's scary yeah, definitely so what yeah, did you very scary. Hmm. so um Tasneem, what did you graduate in this year what uh degree did you do if you oh um it. i studied geography oh amazing um yeah so uh it's and i did like human geography so it's more like uh history and politics and economics sociology like we kind of delve into different topics which I quite like. Mm. Mm. I'm excited for you to see where, where things go for you this year and next year um, and I hope it all goes really well and um, yeah let's let's stay in touch. So before we, yeah, we mm, before we wrap up um, 
Do you have a message to our communities about taboo and stigma before we go on to the gratefulness challenge? Um, I would say just, you know, check in on people more. And if someone says that they feel a bit more like depressed or a bit more down because of grief, like just try and be there for them a bit more instead of dismissing people. Because I think in, at least in Asian communities that I've seen, uh, a lot of people don't take mental health issues seriously. So that would be my message. I'm just understand that grief can manifest in different ways and be prepared to have conversations about mental health yeah great message um yeah I think there's a lot more we can do in in BAME communities but South Asian communities in particular around mental health as it's not really taken seriously um so yeah let we've you know let's all check in on our people even the ones that look like they're carrying things well yeah So what are your memories of your mum before we go on to the gratefulness challenge that you'd like to share with us? What do you remember, your happy memories or sad or however you want to put it? Yeah, no, I've got quite a few. Um, Go for it. I remember, like, she... hmm, Okay, I've got quite a few. Just She was just someone that actually enjoyed having, like, fun. Uh, She was very much more of the serious parent out of her and my dad. But I think it, it was nice seeing her let loose sometimes. Um, I remember one time, I think I was about eight years old, and it was either an Easter holiday or a half term, and it was just me and her in the house. And uh, she opened up, like, my book folder, and there was, a like, an advert for, like, a Tudor house sort of dress-up day weird thing. I can't really explain it, but it was in Hackney. And then she just randomly was like, oh, we should go. And then we just ended up spending the whole day in this massive house. And it was like a, it was an activity for like families and children. And we got to dress up as like Tudor people and pretend to, to like live in a Tudor way. I think because we were studying the Tudors in school, that's why they recommended it. And like, we just got some really silly pictures and stuff. Um, so yeah, I try and remember her in terms of like, just like that. And like, she would always want to go on really nice family holidays um, and just spend time together. I think it was something that she really appreciated. And it's something that, me and my brother and my dad try and emulate so even if we don't go on holiday very often when we do we try and spend as much time together as possible um yeah and I think I remember my mum just really prioritizing schoolwork because um I heard from my other aunts and uncles that because they moved around so much my mum actually didn't manage to do that well in school because she was constantly moving and um I really like that she valued education and um yeah like I might not, not not necessarily become a doctor or a lawyer, but I'd like to think that I've made her proud because, um, yeah, like I've studied something that I actually enjoy and I really worked hard at university. So, yeah, I just have very happy memories of my mum and I try and remember her in a way that I think she'd like to be remembered. I don't think she'd like to be remembered as like someone who was sick or dependent on other people. I think she'd like to be remembered as someone who was in and just wanted to do the best for herself and her family. Tasneem, that was really beautiful, really nice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. So we're going to go on to the gratefulness challenge. Do you know what this is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so no I'm going to give you some context. The gratefulness challenge is something I did a year ago on Insta Stories. 
because I was going through a bit of a, I was going through a, a, a bit of a hard time and I just needed okay. something to kind of remind me of, you know, all the things that I have in my life and that, you know, I, I was just trying to be a bit more positive, I suppose you could say. So I was, I did this challenge where I was grateful for a new thing every day and it was for like, I think I did it for a few months um, and I found it worked. It mostly worked, but some days I was clutching at straws. You know, I was becoming grateful for a bus coming along. Yeah. So it was, it, it, it was frustrating, you know, um, because what? You're grateful for a bus coming along. And I was like, yeah, like I wasn't late to my meeting today. I'm grateful for these small moments. So, so, the, mm. chal- so the challenge is um, just in the here and now name something you're grateful for and I'll do the same um so it's really that simple and it can be however you want it there's no rules or anything like that so do you want to go first or shall I even though I haven't thought of something yet (laughs) uh I can go first all right Uh, I'm grateful for being able to sit down and have breakfast with my dad this morning I like that. That's nice. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, simple. Thank you. Simple. <laughs> and I get that because the father-daughter relationship, um, my dad, I always say he's my best friend. He's my BFF. And I get that. There's yeah. things. I totally get that. Breakfast and tea. Oh, I'm not copying you, but I think I'm going to copy you, actually. <laughs> that's fine. Because <laughs> that's made me think. Um yeah, I like it. That's an important one. Just the fact that you can sit and have breakfast and share a nice small moment with the person that you love. Um, I am also grateful for the things that I share with my father too. Um, I mean, I don't live with my dad, so I couldn't have breakfast with him today. I could have if, if I wake up earlier and I'd gone to see him. But uh, I only see him on the weekends. So... The, yeah, I guess I'm grateful for the fact that I see him every weekend and we do have that moment where we have a cup of tea or a, a snack. Yeah, that's important to me. Yeah. yeah no, it's really... I, um, I miss about, like, waking up in the mornings for school because my parents would just be downstairs eating breakfast. Um, so, yeah, it's just nice I can still have that with my dad. Mm-hmm. And these are sometimes often the things we take for granted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really nice. That's brought me, put a massive smile on my face, you bringing that up. What an amazing thing to be grateful for, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Behind you on that, yeah. Well, Tasneem Chowdhury, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. You're in the bereavement room and I am your host, Colsima Ali. That was the lovely Tasneem Chowdhury. She was talking to me about her mother who sadly passed away in 2013. Tasneem was around 15, 16 years old at the time. If you've been affected by her story, you can reach out to charities such as Child Bereavement UK. They support bereaved children up until the age of 25 years. You could also reach out to Cruise Bereavement Care. They also offer bereavement support to children and young people. Until the next story, take care.
and it's great that they were very 